Hello there, my name is Mike, and I love Star Wars. On today's episode, special guest Alan Graham and I will be taking a deep dive into the first non-episodic live-action film in Star Wars history, the ambitious and flawlessly executed Rogue One A Star Wars Story. This is I Still Love Star Wars. You must unlearn what you have today. That's how we're going to win. Not fighting what we hate. Saving what we love. You're my only hope. This is where the fun begins. Your focus determines your reality. Don't give in to hate. I feel the good in you. Oh, it's beautiful. That's what you feel. I love you. We would be honored if you would join us. I got a really good feeling about this. Hi and hello, Star Wars fans, and welcome to I Still Love Star Wars your weekly dose of Star Wars positivity. Before we dive into what you can expect to hear in this episode, let's set the table with some facts and figures about this week's film. Rogue One A Star Wars Story was released on December 14, 2016. It was written by Chris Weitz, Tony Gilroy, John Knoll, and Gary Whitta, and directed by Gareth Edwards for a budget of $265 million. Its worldwide box office currently stands at over $1.05 billion, according to Box Office Mojo. Rogue One took a simple idea based on a single line from the opening crawl of the original Star Wars film and turned it into a dynamic and thrilling film that was firmly grounded in the Star Wars universe, yet capable of standing on its own. New characters and locations added a breadth to the overall narrative while familiar characters were brought back to life in a way that entertained audiences and deepened fans' appreciation for the plight of the Rebellion. Their dedication to a cause they could believe in brought them together and gave them hope. Speaking of hope, I certainly hope you've been enjoying I Still Love Star Wars. We've got another great episode planned for you. Here's a little sneak peek. Joining me for today's interview segment is friend, musician, all-around great guy, Alan Graham. Alan and I had a ton of fun discussing what we love about Rogue One, and I really think you're going to love this interview. In addition to my conversation with Alan, we'll have our weekly visit from the Star Wars guy, and a few more musical interludes to tie it all together. Speaking of music, let's get the show going with a collection of memorable lines from Rogue One entitled anthem of hope. But first, you're listening to I Still Love Star Wars. Why does she get a podcast and I don't? We stand here amidst my achievements, not yours! You have made time an ally of the rebellion. An imperial pilot who's telling people they're making a weapon. What kind of weapon? A planet killer! We call it the Death Star. We need to stop this weapon before it is finished. What part of urgent message do you guys understand? Or go. Trust goes both ways. Would you like to know the probability of her using it against you? It's high. Rebellions are built on hope. Hope? The Force is with me, and I am with the Force. You've never had the luxury of political opinions. You're not the only one who lost everything. You almost shot me. You're welcome. What's your call sign, my What? Careful not to choke on your aspirations. What chance do we have? The question is what choice? Rebellions are built on hope. One blast to any part of it will destroy the entire station. What is it they've sent? Hope. And now it's time for our weekly visit from the Star Wars guy. This time around, he theorizes about the return of one of the most wizard characters in Star Wars history. Hey everybody, it's the Star Wars guy, here with one of my favorite parts from Rogue One, a Star Wars story. First of all, there was a scene where Krennic was going to Dark Vader to tell on Grand Moff Tarkin. What was so cool about that was that he actually traveled to the planet Mustafar, and we saw Dark Vader's castle. That was so wizard! And speaking of wizard, I think that we may have actually seen my favorite Star Wars character ever. Remember the creepy bald dude who was, like, looking at Dark Vader when he was in his Pacta tank? I think that might have actually been Kidster as a grown-up. That's just a theory. I don't think it's 
actually true, but boy, oh boy, it would be so wizard if it was true that Kitster was still alive and he was actually friends with Dark Vader, who somehow he knew was actually Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, my theory kind of falls apart there, but anyways, I can hope, right? So anyways, that's my favorite part from Rogue One, a Star Wars story. When Dark Vader's super cool Mustafarian castle came on the screen. That was awesome. Only to be made better by an appearance of Kitster as a grown-up. Again, my theory, probably not true. Well, that's all I have for this episode. Now, it's kind of my favorite part of my segment, ratings. On a scale of Boar Gullet to Chirrut Imwe, I give Rogue One, a Star Wars story, a K2SO. Well, that's all I got for now. Until next time, this is the Star Wars guy saying, may the Force be with you. Thank you for listening to I Still Love Star Wars. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. These are two great ways to help other people find the show and join the fun. If you'd like the opportunity to have your love of Star Wars included in a future episode, send what you love about this podcast, a specific Star Wars film, or just that galaxy far, far away in general to thestarwarsguy1977 at gmail.com. Remember, though, keep it positive and help this show spread the love as we celebrate Star Wars. All right. Well, we are at the point in the show where it is finally time to talk about what we love about Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And here to help me do that is a very special guest, a dear friend of mine. He's a musician. He's a dad. He's an all-around great guy. Please you, join me you, in welcoming you. Alan Graham. Welcome to the show, Alan. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. All right. Before we get to talking about this movie, though, I want to hear a little bit about your Star Wars journey. And we do this in a little segment I like to call Graham, a Star Wars story. Oh, where to begin? How much time you got? (laughs) (laughs) As much time as you uh, need. Okay, great. Uh, My Star Wars story started, I mean, I was born in 80, so that was after Star Wars was released in theaters, and I had um, an aunt uh, that was uh, a teen at that time, and it's just kind of been there my whole life. I don't remember a time without Star Wars, honestly. But yeah, I mean, just growing up, I always, it seemed like, especially Empire Strikes Back and um, Return of the Jedi were just like always on, always on at home. Later years, probably like late teens, early adult, when the, this, the prequel trilogy started coming out and of course saw all of those and all the re-releases in the theater. And most recently, this past fall, they released uh, Empire in the theaters during the COVID yes. time. And I took my son to see that on the big screen. Uh, and it was awesome. Alan, your Star Wars story is similar to a number of guests we've had. You don't remember a time in life where you didn't have Star Wars. And and I feel like that is a pretty good way to be. Uh, like you, I was a, a child who grew up with uh, Star Wars as far back as I can remember. So um, a little bit older than 1980. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Star Wars is a great thing to to certainly remember from our childhoods. All right. Well, it is now time to get to the film Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. As you know, the way we go through this is we're just going to share five things we love. And as always, we start with a guest. So, Alan, why don't you start us off by sharing the first thing that you want us to know that you love about Rogue One, a Star Wars story? Oh, my goodness. I'm sure there's probably been other people that this was their favorite part. But my favorite part of that movie is absolutely the Vader hallway scene. Um uh, you know, outside of the underlying themes of hope and rebellion and the kind of greater character arcs that go on, on like that, not even a minute worth of footage was like, I just remember seeing that in the theater and uh, just being blown away, just seeing Vader be a little bit more than a threatening menace, actually being, you know, cutting through, slicing down all the people. I was like, oh my gosh, Like this is why everyone's so scared of him. It's not just the way he looks. <laughs> so that was that was cool. Yeah. I mean, the music, the, the lighting uh, mm-hmm. set set the tone, certainly, but it was the action um, mm. that, that blew us all away, for sure. Uh, 
I love where it is in the entire Star Wars story. How, mm-hmm. of course, we don't know how long. I don't know that we have exactly the amount of time that you know Rogue One ends and Star Wars A New Hope begins, but we know that it's very, very close. And to get a glimpse of Vader moments before we see him in A New Hope, right, is just like gives a little bit more emotional context for what's going through Vader's mind. Like before, you it always seemed like he just rolled up on the ship, and they're like, he's so angry, he's choking people out. But he actually just got finished in a battle. Like they were test, you know, they right. blew up scared. Like the Empire actually just lost something. Yeah, that he's upset about. Yeah, you know, like all this stuff just went down, and from his point of view, you know, these these rebels destroyed their base attacked them like they're the ones trying to bring bring peace and security to the galaxy and right you know these guys these guys the rebels are the bad guys to him sure so well so where i want to go with vader is not where we end with him in this movie but where we start with him in this movie okay and the setting of that scene first of all going to mustafar where we last see darth vader battling obi-wan and we see his castle, this castle that we've heard about. Is this the first canon that we've heard of it? I believe so. I believe so. It's the first film, certainly, um, yeah. where we get a chance to see Vader's castle. And of course, because my brain is weird, I'm thinking about who is the architect? Did the Imperial right. architects, like did Darth Vader, uh, were there like subcontractors do they have like walkthroughs and inspections where palpatine and vader are like oh no 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 that wall is supposed to be further back there you know like so i'm weird that way no (laughs) um but anyways we we see uh the first glimpse of vader we we see this uh creepy dude in his cloak walk into this chamber Director Credick has arrived. We see the two guards, Mm -hmm. the two Imperial guards on either side of this chamber, where in the center of this chamber is this Bacta tank. And, of course, the steam and smoke in the room is perfectly revealing just enough so we know who's in there. Mm -hmm. And we can't see detail because... Of course, we want it left as much to our imagination as possible. We want this glimpse, but we don't want to see it exactly because to see it exactly would remove the suspense, would remove the mystery, would remove our imaginations from running wild. I can remember in The Empire Strikes Back seeing just the head Mm, of Darth Vader. I can remember seeing Luke take off his mask in Return of the Jedi and just being blown away at that. There was a lot of imagination and for a lot of years. And then the next we see him is the suit coming in, talking to Krennic. Director Krennic. Lord Vader. You know, Krennic is there to basically tell on Tarkin and make sure that the Emperor knows that he wants to still be in charge of the Death Star. Like, Krennic is, like, telling his dad, you know, like, Dad, Tarkin's taking my Death Star. You do have a great many things to explain. I delivered the weapon the Emperor requested. I deserve an audience to make certain that he understands its remarkable potential. And we see a little bit of... Uh, the machinations behind the scenes. There is no Death Star. The Senate has been informed that Jeddah was destroyed in a mining disaster. He uh-huh. He's already, but he's had to create these stories to cover for the Empire. He's not proud of this technological tear that they've created, as he would say later in, in A New Hope. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. But he is, uh, he's done with Krennic. He doesn't want anything to do with Krennic. He right. is not a threat to Vader in the least. He even points out at the beginning, Vader points out at the beginning, You seem unsettled. No, just 
pressed for time. There's a great many things to attend to. Then as Krennic is talking to him, he's he's got that Star Wars choke going. He's just got the fingers. He's got, yeah. you know, Krennic is all of a sudden not able to breathe, and he goes down to his knees. And then, of course, Vader's uh, little quip there where he says, Be careful not to choke on your aspirations, Director. <laughs> and he walks away. And that ends that scene. But at the very, very last of that scene, we see Krennic kind of look up and be very proud of himself because even though he went through all of that, he got what he wanted. As far as the emperor was concerned, he still had power. He was still in control. Now, of course, we see that's not exactly how it happens. Yeah, I found that was a little more a little more vague. I mean, he may have felt that way, but I don't think any anyone else had confirmed that. Like, absolutely. You know, I think he, 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 he was proud of himself for, for having that moment with Vader. He feels yeah. like he got what he wanted. And like I said, we're, later on but, we find out he doesn't exactly but, get what he yeah. wants. Krennic's not someone that uh, Vader would respect out the gate anyway. Like, you know, Vader tended to respect people that could back up what they said or had been done something honorable or, you know. like Well, he certainly respected Tarkin because Tarkin almost seems like he's Vader's boss in a new hope like he's like enough of this Vader release him as you wish <sighs> all right well that's your number one the Vader scene at the end and my number one the introduction of Vader now we're on to number two Alan what do you have what's the next thing you want us to know that you love about Rogue One a Star Wars story the introduction to Cass of Cassian Andor I think is is really great um you know, from the, the very first scene, he was willing to do what he had to do, even if he wasn't proud to do it. Everything I did, I did for the rebellion. You know, he knew it was something he had to live with, but he was proud to do it for the cause. And at the end, kind of see him come around to be like, okay, like... Every time I walked away from something I wanted to forget, I told myself it was for a cause that I believed in. You know, and... uh the line he says at the end there is like, if I gave up on it now, I couldn't look at myself after having, you know, after the things I've done for the rebellion. Right. You know, so it had to have a purpose and a reason. I, th- I thought that was really good. Yeah. I, I love the introduction to him because at our vi- the very first scene we really have with Cassian, he's ruthless. He kills he's a got, guy. I mean, he, kill, he, he kills kill, a guy on his own a- side to keep the mission alive. And the and the guy's arm was hurt and he couldn't make it out in time and so he kills him. I'll never climb out of here, my arm. Get out of the way. Oh, oh. Calm down. Calm down. We'll be all right. Hmm? You know what I mean? It's like he doesn't try to help the the person, you know, the the lame arm. He's just like, okay, right. like I have to kill you and get out of here. Right. Or the whole thing, or the whole thing's busted. And then further on in the in the film. Uh, you know, he's got this secret job that he's got to do. He's got to kill right. Galen Urso and he's got to keep right. that secret. And uh, Jin calls him on it and he goes ahead and tells her. I've been in this fight since I was six years old. You're not the only one who lost everything. He didn't have the kind of the advantage he sees that she has. He feels that he she has had an advantage by not having to take a side or be a part in it. Right. Because she kind of has this kind of like blase attitude about it like this side is evil but your side is not cool either like the alliance the the rebels whatever it is you're calling yourself these days all it's ever brought me is pain you can stand to see the imperial flag rain across the galaxy it's not a problem if you don't look up what's great about i think cassian's character throughout this is uh, we get that glimpse of him at the beginning, but then we get further development. We see mm-hmm. him make choices along the way. We see him justify those choices and explain those choices along the way. And then as the movie progresses, he makes different choices. He stands up for things a little bit differently as the story progresses. Um, and he's there with her in the end. They mm-hmm. kind of have this moment where they can just breathe in and breathe out and say, we've accomplished this mission. And now... We're going to trust, yep. you know, both characters at one point say the line. Rebellions are built on hope. I think hope is is very much uh, a theme in these films. And certainly I love that. I mean, I, it's one of the things that this podcast is built upon 
being positive, having a hope for things to be good and better. And so, you know, I'm glad that that's a theme and I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence just like you. So that is your number two. I'm going to go from Cassin Andor to his companion, his compatriot, his partner, and that is K2SO. I'm K2SO. I'm a reprogrammed Imperial droid. He tends to say whatever comes into his circuit. I find that answer vague and unconvincing. And there's a fresh one if you mouth off again. I've got a bad feeling about it. Why does she get a blaster and I don't? That is a bad idea. There are a lot of explosions for two people blending in. Jin, I'll be there for you. Cassian said I had to. I thought it was boring and you were in trouble. Did you know that wasn't me? The rebels, they went over there. It doesn't sound so bad to me. I can remember uh, when this movie was first announced, they were talking about, oh, it's going to be kind of like a, a gritty war film. And we mm-hmm. knew that one of the characters was going to be a droid. It was going to be this reprogrammed Imperial droid. And I wasn't quite sure... I, my mind, I was thinking about C-3PO, and I've said before, you know, C-3PO is not one of my favorite characters. He is involved in some of my favorite Star Wars moments, but I think uh, C-3PO tends to not hit home for me all the time. Uh, so I was kind of a little worried about where are we going with this droid character. Cassian describes him perfectly at the beginning. He tends to say whatever comes into his circuits. It's a byproduct of the reprogramming. What you see is what you get. What you hear is what you get. He doesn't really mince words. I thought I told you to stay on the ship. You did, but I thought it was boring and you were in trouble. And he's very, very quick to tell you the odds, even if you might not want to hear them. I guess that must be a Troy thing, always knowing the odds. There's a 26% chance of failure. How much further? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I never really come this way. But we're close. We're close. I know that. Well, now there's a 35% chance of I failure. I don't want to know. Thank you. I understand. Um, I just think the character brings humor to the story without being jokey jokes. Uh, he right. still brings a sense of humor. And in the end, uh, when he dies... Uh, protecting our heroes and giving them the last bit of direction as the stormtroopers are sending him to his death. He dies a hero. He dies furthering Jin and Cassian's ability to get those plans and accomplish the mission. So K2SO, without him, we would have had fewer laughs, but we also wouldn't have had the ending we had because without him, uh, we wouldn't have been able to accomplish this mission. So K2SO is not just heroic as a character, as a performance. Uh, he's not just heroic in, in the way that the creators brought him to life and the technology they used to bring him into the film. But in his deeds, he was truly a hero. So, Yeah, I liked the, um, in his intro, they're basically busting Jen or so out of prison. Yes, I didn't the mention trans- that. Yeah, the transport. And he's like, congratulations. You are being rescued. Please do not resist. Like that humor, that set the tone throughout the rest of the movie. Absolutely. Thank you for mentioning that because I can't believe I forgot it. It was the first we saw of him. And it's, yeah, Yeah. it let us know everything we wanted to know about about K2SO. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. We are on to number three. What's the next thing that you love about this movie? Um, I was really impressed and the technology has gotten even even better since this movie came out, but really impressed with how they brought Grand Moff Tarkin back um, to the way he looked, the way he interacted in the scenes, to his voice. I mean, they took their time and it was really well done. Like, I was really impressed when I saw that. We've heard word of rumors circulating through the city. Apparently, you've lost a rather talkative cargo pilot. If the Senate gets wind of our project, countless systems will flock to the rebellion. The things he goes through where, you know, he's he's talking about uh, he doesn't believe in the battle station fully. He doesn't believe in the Death Star fully. And then they do a test. When has become now, Director Krennic, the Emperor will tolerate no further delay. You have made time an ally of the rebellion. I suggest we solve both problems simultaneously with an immediate test of the weapon. You know, he, he makes moves in there to where um, whenever Leia confronts him in A New Hope and says... I recognized your foul stench when I was brought on board. Charming to the last. It makes more sense now. 
he's he's willing to take somebody else's project and be like, that's my project. And right. I will tell him that I will be taking control over the weapon I first spoke of years ago, effective immediately. Kind of do some slimy stuff that would have a stench, you would think. Yeah. I really respect them for having the boldness to put Tarkin in the film because they were opening the doors. Anytime, I, I think because because the technology has advanced so much over the years, you can create digital characters and motion capture and all of that. And and it's amazing, but still there's something about the human face that it's just not perfect. When you look at the behind the scenes making of rogue one, you you can see the guy with the dots all over his face and you can see them going through Mm -hmm. all this, you know, if they decided to do that, Without knowing 100% if they could, and they knew that they were taking a big risk, kind of like Tarkin says, I'm taking a big risk when they let the Millennium Falcon escape the Death Star to track it and all that. I'm taking a great risk. Well, the makers of this film were taking a great risk in deciding we're going to bring Tarkin in, we're going to use this technology because this movie has a release date and they're going to have to do it whether they were ready to do it or not. And it could have been terrible. And and what they did is... To me, just short of a miracle of technology. So they did great. The only way it took me out of the film at the theater in the moment was I couldn't just, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Mm -hmm. I thought it was great. I mean, like I said, I was just blown away. How did they do that? Yeah. That'll actually feed into my next, my number three, we're going to make it uh, the relationship between Tarkin and Krennic. I just loved the interplay between the two. They're clearly trying to outdo one another. Krennic's ambitious. He wants recognition. He feels like this has happened because of his work, because of things that he's done. I believe I owe you an apology, Director Krennic. Your work exceeds all expectations. You tell the Emperor as much. He's risen to his position, and he wants to rise beyond his position. He wants more. He feels like he deserves more. Tarkin is already in this position that Krennic wants. Tarkin is kind of comes across as conniving, slimy. He's a cre- like this credit-stealing weasel that, uh, that says, okay. I will tell him that his patience with your misadventures has been rewarded with a weapon that will bring a swift end to the rebellion. And I know that, that Tarkin doesn't have you know, absolutely nothing to do with the Death Star. We see him at the end of Revenge of the Sith. There's the scene where he's kind of overseeing construction of the Death Star um, at at its very early stages. We can certainly try and fill in the blanks between Krennic and Tarkin and, and how they both rose to power in kind of different forms or fashions. But wherever their journey has taken them along the way, we know that Krennic feels like this is his moment. We stand here amidst my achievement, not yours! I just love how the relationship between Krennic and Tarkin unfolds. We we see that Krennic wants and wants and wants all this power, and in the end, Tarkin just says, Target the base at Scarif, single reactor ignition. Yes, sir. He knows, basically. Mm-hmm. We'll see on the other side, Krennic. I win. You're done. Mm-hmm. And there problems. And that's yeah, problem, that. solved. problem solved. Yeah. 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 So the relationship between Krennic and Tarkin loved it. It just adds to uh, adds another layer to the the Empire and shows that the deviousness of these men, um, they will use each other to get ahead and then take the other one out uh, when it suits them. That's that's pretty much it. That is number <laughs> three. Boy, oh, boy, we're we're beyond halfway. We're up to number four. Alan, it's up to you. What do you got? What's the fourth thing that you loved about Rogue One, a Star Wars story? Um, I like the uh, the events on Jeddah. Um, you know, just the subtle kind of Easter eggs or throwbacks that they kind of put in there. Um, and I was trying to remember this guy's name, and I know that you'll remember it because uh, we've had this conversation before. Dr. Dr. Evazan. Yeah, you know, that the, uh, they meet in the cantina in A New Hope. You know, we get to see him here in Jeddah. Here, here he is again telling someone they better watch themselves. Hey, you just watch yourself. No, no. Go <laughs> yourself. We don't want any trouble. I thought seeing the, the throwbacks and even Saul Guerrero, you know, going back to, I think that was, he was in Rebels. 
he, he was in Rebels. He was in the Clone Wars, and he was Clone in Wars, Rebels. Dude. But he he was introduced yeah. in the Clone Wars. Yeah. Like just just seeing kind of you know uh, when I was rewatching it, I was thinking you know as we see the the blast hit Jetta and the the Earth kind of coming towards Saul, it's like that really is the end of his story in Star Wars. Like mm-hmm. that that moment, and I I enjoyed seeing that kind of of stuff too. You know even. Uh, down to the guardians of the wills you know that just yeah. that whole scene and jetta was just was just super cool how you know there's still the force still affects these people these are these these are the guardians but they're not necessarily jedi and right force is with me and i am with the force and i fear nothing for all this as the force wills it but they're obviously you know connected and they're obviously you know he can fight see jedi there's no jedi here anymore only dreamers like this fool. The Force did protect me. I protected you. It'll be interesting to see how the cinematic universe, as the term they use now for this stuff, kind of unfolds with Star Wars to see how that plays out. I'm I'm excited for that kind of stuff. So, absolutely, I, I think that uh, it, it this will actually dovetail right perfectly into my next the the next thing that I wanted to share. So. What I had down was not specifically just Jetta, but the Force as a religion. And you talked about it, uh, the Guardians of the Wills. They were the protectors of this Kyber temple. Um, they weren't Jedi, but they were like this, this monk-like order who was dedicated to protecting this temple. Much like we see, or we kind of just get a little glimpse of in The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. where we see these people that... Um, believe in the force as a religion different from the Jedi, but they acknowledge the power of the force. And we see, you know, cheered Imwe is the first person that we really get a glimpse of um, who's identified as one of these guardians and his partner mm-hmm. Baze Malbus. And they're kind of like side by side companions who are these guardians of the wills. And Baze is a former guardian of the wills and and Chirrut, he's kind of just there protecting Chirrut because he feels bad for Chirrut because he's blind. And even though we see that he he gets along just fine. But even at the beginning of the movie, though, the force as a religion kind of stands out to me because Jin's mother hand, gives her this necklace with a kyber crystal on crystal. it and tells her yeah. Jin's mother certainly wasn't a Jedi that we know of, but yet. Um, she believed in the force. Uh, we see these guardians in Jetta City. Uh, this this imperial occupation is going on, and it's it's threatening the temple. But yet they feel like they need to protect it. So you've kind of got these. You've got the the empire there. You've got the guardians there. Then you've got Saw's band of people there. And there's kind of you know when we see Jetta Jetta City, uh, Cassian refers to it as a powder keg that's about to blow. Like he. He senses that any second now this could all go up. So it's a very, very dangerous, dangerous time. It really ties into how the Force felt whenever the the movies were just Star Wars Empire and Return of the Jedi. It just it, it felt more kind of unknown and mystical. You know, and I think even Han Solo was talking about You don't believe in the Force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. I, I love the the prequels because of the more showy, flashy aspects of like the lightsaber and the force use and all that kind of stuff. But it was it was neat when it was very much just like you know, in the in the first movies, like Luke wasn't doing like a whole lot of tremendous stuff. It's like he had a little extra in what he could do than more most people because he believed in the Force. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it speaks to between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, how successful Vader and the Emperor were at not just killing off the Jedi, but making the Jedi the scapegoats for what has happened that has led to the empire and basically just erasing the Jedi from the consciousness of the Republic. And so what's left of it is this religion of the force and the Jedi really aren't seen as even part of the equation anymore. So, you know, here we get a sense of 
where people are in relationship to the Jedi in relationship to the force. And we're left with the force as kind of this religion that these people are kind of seen as kooky and out there who believe in the force, you know, cheered Imway, uh, his introduction is kind of in the background. Wait for me. And he talks to Jin and Jin is wondering, how does this guy even see me? He's blind. How does he, is he talking to me? What's going on here? Um, later, he steps out in front of the stormtroopers and, and kind of introduces himself and his abilities as far as fighting goes. And that was unreal and insane. Such a great yep. scene. The force is with me and I am with the force. And I fear nothing for all this as the force wills it. When he repeats that line, I am one with the force and the force is with me. It was just something different that we hadn't seen before, but something that identified him. It gave him a little bit more to his character, and it was something that piqued my interest, and it's something that came back later in the movie. It was kind of a theme that ran throughout his relationship with Baze Malbus, and then finally with Baze's relationship to him. All of that um, started in this scene in Jetta City, and their relationship grew throughout the movie. I would have loved to spend time talking just about the, the relationship between Cheered Amway and Baze Malbus. You almost shot me. You're welcome. I think they should have their yeah. own... You know, their own uh, Disney Plus series, you know, Bays and Cheer, Guardians of the Wills or something, where we get to go before uh, before the events of Rogue no, no. One and we see them uh, and how they kind of got to know each other. I think there would be a great story in there. They certainly were a highlight of this movie for me. In the prequel movies, the Jedi seem to be very much like able to wield the force. Right. Right. Like, like the force does as they command. Sure. Kind of. Absolutely. What 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 Chariot does is he'll walk through blasters fire to pull a lever. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. I'm one with the force. The force is with me. He doesn't actually do anything, but he doesn't get hit. Right. He lives just long enough in the movie to pull the lever so they can, you know, get the communication yeah. back up, you know, so that they, they can tell them they need to get the blast or the uh, the message out. And like, as soon as he's done, like he's, you know yeah, what I mean? And like I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think there's, there's room for that interpretation because from a certain point of view, that's exactly what happens. I didn't see evidence of cheer at Imway manipulating the force, using the force, having force powers. But I think there is definitely an awareness of a sensitivity to a connection with the right. force that he has. And then the third aspect of that, like, like we've said, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn coined the term, the living force. And I think the force is a living entity in mm -hmm. some respects and, and how that happens and what that looks like. I don't exactly know. But there's room for that in there. It's just, it's the force right. is as much a living, growing entity as any character who wields it. That's intriguing to me. And I, I really do think that this film brought light to that in a really interesting way. So that takes us to our very last point each. We're up to number five. Alan, you're back up. What is the fifth and final thing that you would like to share with us about Rogue One, a Star Wars story? We we touched on this earlier, and I think for my last, the, my fifth favorite thing about Rogue One, a Star Wars story, uh, would have to be the theme of hope as it kind of wraps through the whole movie. It's kind of intertwined. Uh, you know, the, the people, and just like real life, but the people in the story have these insurmountable odds and all this uncertainty, and they're kind of just being guided by the events that happen just before they arrive in their moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's their faith and the uncertainty that the hope that they use to get through there. And, then, you know, they, they say it several times, the word hope, as we talked right. about earlier. There's so much action, but there's like this whole positive theme of that movie. That's just like you can really take that and use it in your real life, because even though I'm not going out and fighting in some battles today or, and I don't have the ability of the force or whatever, there's still something I've got to face. You know, that same thing applies, the hope that really resonated with me. It's, it was, it was certainly what stuck out last night. I was, I was yeah. 
the story of this film is about having hope in a hopeless situation. Yeah, it is not difficult to find yourself in a hopeless situation, but to find hope within that situation, I think can be difficult. And so we can look to a film like this to see characters in maybe this fantastical, hopeless situation that is nothing like anything we would ever come into contact with. But yet right. we can look at the way that they hang on to hope and they hold out hope to be instructive to us, to be encouraging to us, to have hope in our own situations. One of my favorite songwriters wrote that hope is the anthem of my soul. And I believe that. I, I want that to be my life. I want my life to be built on hope. I want my life to exude hope, to be to exemplify hope to other people. Right. And so I'm yep. drawn to stories where hope is a theme. We see early on in the story when cynical Jin Urso is talking to, you know, she's almost like incredulous when Cassian refers to hope. I'll give her your name and hope that gets us a meeting with Saul. Hope. Yeah. He's like, yeah, rebellions are, are built, built on hope. hope. Like this whole thing hope. is about hope. Yeah. If we don't have hope, we're doomed. Well, we yeah, I'm doing all this terrible stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, we see later in the story that Jen Urso, not only did that resonate with her, but she came to believe it because when she's standing in front of this council of the rebellion, she refers to that same point that Cassian made to her. You're asking us to invade an Imperial installation based on nothing but hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Because without hope, there's no point in any of this. And so I'm so thankful that you brought up that point. Um, and then, of course, the film ends with the, uh, the arrival of Princess Leia, where, you know, she's asked, Your Highness, the transmission we received, what is it they've sent us? hope yeah like it's and, and it leads like you said it leads perfectly into the next film the film is a new hope and where this hope that we have through these death star plans is part of that hope and then luke skywalker in the greater galaxy picture is this new hope for the jedi for the galaxy and all that and and further on down the line but in this moment we have hope yeah and uh, during the the battle of of Scarif there at the end of the movie, and you know they're getting the plans and they get them to Leia. She's getting ready to get captured, right? Right. She gets captured, and the C three PO and and R two are getting ready to like fly out. I mean, it's just I don't know. It's, it's a really cool tie in. I mean, it's just all of that is just yeah. Right there. Like, so what is Luke doing right now? Like trying to go to Tashi Station? Yeah. Like he's about to go, yeah, he's about to head down to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. And he's got his bin he's got his binoculars with him because we know yeah. in the deleted scene he's looking up at the space battle. Yeah, I'm with you. It's yeah. awesome. It's it's really cool to yeah. see the context. Yeah, that's great. So that's your number five. And that leads to my number five, and we're gonna wrap it up here. And that it has to be because of the age of Star Wars fan that I am, it has to be the nostalgia factor. You kind of, we, we literally were just talking about the connection between the, the opening of a new hope and all of that. And it just reminds me of my childhood. There's this mm -hmm. little throwaway moment with R2, D2 and C3PO. Scarif. They're going to Scarif. Why does nobody ever tell me anything, R2? It didn't need to be there at all, but I'm so glad that it was because it puts R2-D2 and C-3PO in the setting of this film. Mm -hmm. And they're such an important part moving forward. Um, I loved, you know, little nods to characters from Star Wars Rebels where we see Chopper at one point kind of just going by mm -hmm. in the background. If you didn't know it, you didn't see it. But ha knowing that character like I do, it was great to see Chopper there. Mm -hmm. It was nice to hear in the background General Sindula, uh, Hera from Star Wars Rebels to the briefing mm -hmm. room. It was just neat to hear that name there. We see her ship, the Ghost, among yep. Yep. the ships in the Battle of Scarif, you know, just things like that. Of course, uh, my absolute favorite bit of nostalgia from here, you know, you mentioned the Dr. Evazan. I wasn't as hot for that, although I thought it was kind of funny. Um, he must have gotten 
right on a cruiser, left so, Jeddah and got into yeah. Tatooine. <laughs> he, you know, he's got yeah. a very, very uh, strict itinerary to follow to get there. Uh, but my favorite part, the Battle of Scarif, we've got Red Leader and Gold Leader. This is Gold Leader standing by. This is Red Leader standing by. Using mm-hmm. actual footage from the filming of A New Hope way back in 1976 and 1977. And here they are showing up um, they seamlessly included that footage. Red Leader, this is Gold Leader. We're starting our attack run on the shield gang. Keep it tight and watch out for those towers. It was perfect. It was so great because we are we are in this era, and so why wouldn't those characters be in it? It, it just was such mm-hmm. a great touch. The day that someone had that idea, and then the day they found that footage and realized they could use it, had to have been such an amazing day for the makers of this film because it was just um, it was just a perfect addition. The little the little Easter egg that I loved uh, was the part where Red Five was uh, killed in battle. Stick close, Red Five. Where are you going? Come on, enemy! I'm trying to lose them. Red Five, I need help. Now, of course, we know Luke Skywalker was Red 5, and now we know mm-hmm. from the Battle of Scarif why Red, the call sign Red 5 was available for Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. to fill in because poor Red 5 had been destroyed. That was a, a, a cool little Easter egg. I just really thought that they did a great job making a few nods to the original films without overdoing it. Like, there were some things that weren't really Easter eggs, like the Tantive Four those iconic white hallways, those weren't Easter yeah. eggs. Those, mm-hmm. That was just the setting of the film. That had to be there. If we're going to see that, that ship is important. So, yeah. But we did get... The sound of the siren. Absolutely. Uh, the Rebel Alliance headquarters, it was cool to kind of see those from a different perspective in a new yeah. way. They expanded upon all of these. So yeah. they made Rogue One its own film with its own design, but yet it it didn't just borrow for nostalgia's sake. The nostalgia of this film was just enough to make me feel like I was in the Star Wars universe. They could have done more and they could have made it a distraction, but I think they did just enough to make it feel like Star Wars without hitting you over the head with, oh, by the way, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. It was just, to me, it was the perfect balance. They struck the perfect balance. All right. Well, I think we did it, Alan. I think we got through (laughs) five each. I think we did. And uh, But you're you're not done yet because as you know... Uh, we still have to wrap things up with a trip to the hyperspace round. I hope you're ready for this rapid fire round of questions. All right. Remind me it's just answering questions. So you're going to have 30 seconds and you're going to have to answer as many of these questions as you can. I'm just going to rapid fire them off one at a time. It's going to be a this or a that, uh, or your favorite, this, your favorite, that, um, you're going to have to choose okay. between options I give you, and you're only going to have 30 seconds to do it. So you're going to have to uh, answer them as quickly as you can, but I want you to give you an honest answer. Now, the twist is that I have decided what your answers should be. So even though this is just your opinion, I'm going to tell you if your opinion is correct. I've decided what your opinion gotcha. should be. All right. All right. So I'm going to put 30 seconds on the clock. Are you ready? I'm ready. And away we Go. Jedi or Sith? Sith. Incorrect. Jedi. Original trilogy, prequel <laughs> trilogy, or sequel trilogy? Ooh, original trilogy. Correct. What color would your lightsaber be? Uh, blue. Incorrect. Green. Favorite ship or vehicle? Oh. Millennium Falcon. Correct. Who's cuter, Wicket, Porgs, or Babu Freak? Oh, Wicket always. Incorrect. Babu Freak. And your favorite character? Uh, Luke Skywalker. Uh, Incorrect. It was Han Solo. Unfortunately, the timer went off before you got to that question. So we only get credit for the previous one. You did pretty well. Uh, Well, actually, you didn't do very well at all. You got original trilogy correct, (laughs) and you got Millennium Falcon correct. Other than that, uh, your opinion was off a little bit. But uh, thanks, thanks for trying anyways. 
Hey, thanks for having me. I'm happy to play. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're we're about to wrap it up. But before we do, Alan, is there anything that uh, you would like to share with the audience? Anything you got going on that, uh, you know, anything that they can find that you want to point them to? Um, I host a, a creative musical type, uh, I guess, a YouTube channel or a podcast. Okay. Uh, it's called the Oak Table Convos. And I live in Columbia, South Carolina, and mostly just creative artists and uh, musicians that come on and, you know, talk about their process. It's not really about like, Hey, this is my song. It's more like what, you know, how are you thinking and feeling when you wrote it or you created that piece of art or uh -huh. whatever. It's, it's more of the person, not the product. Okay. So, so conversations with artists about their artistic mm -hmm. processes. Yeah. Awesome. That's exactly. What well, I'm definitely going to check that out. I can't wait. I can't wait to check Thank it out. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this conversation about Rogue One, a Star Wars story, but it is not the end of the show. Sit tight right there. I'll be right back to wrap things up. You don't know how hard I found it signing the order to terminate your life. Bounty hunters. We don't need that scum. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. Matrix gonna work on me. All the money. If an item does not appear in our records, it does not exist. <laughs> Jedi scum. In my book, experience outranks everything. This will begin to make things right. Did you come here to kill me? I believe he's tooling with you. I admire anyone who can crawl their way out of the sewer as putrid as Corellia. Don't be afraid of who you are. That song was a lot of fun to put together. It featured some iconic lines spoken in Galactic Basic, known in our galaxy as English. Later in the season, we'll hear a similar song featuring some of the many alien tongues in that galaxy far, far away. And of course, earlier during the interview segment, you heard my tribute to the lovable and snarky K2SO. Special thanks to Alan Graham for sitting down with me to record that interview. I've had the privilege of sitting in the theater with Alan for the premieres of multiple Star Wars films, followed by late-night Waffle House breakdowns. So to have that discussion was just like old times. Also, don't forget you can support I Still Love Star Wars by helping me spread the word, and especially by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and a review. I'd love to know what you think about the show. As always, you can share your thoughts about the show or Star Wars in general in the form of listener feedback by sending an email to thestarwarsguy1977 at gmail.com. Next week, I'm excited to welcome another amazing guest. Writer, director, all-around great guy and self-proclaimed Star Wars nerd Corey Edwards will be here to take a deep dive into The Last Jedi. Until then, remember, 